Brothers and sisters, if you would turn in your copy of Scripture to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 together. Second Timothy chapter three verses ten through seventeen. <clears throat> we are uh, in the process of the exciting and harrowing journey of our daughter, our oldest daughter, learning how to drive. And I don't know how many of you have gone through this experience. I know that everyone who's an adult who is driving has gone through it on on that end of can't waiting to to be a licensee to be able to drive and to be able to, to do as you please and have that freedom. And I think that 15 years old, quite frankly, is a little too young. Uh, I'll just lay that out there. I think 15 is a little too young. I think 18 is probably a little too young. And as I look around, I think maybe 22 might be a little too young for people to drive around on the roads. But that's just me, and I'm not going to make an apology for that. But that, that I think that you should wait until you're 44 till you drive. So, Because my kids remind me that I am not a good driver either especially when we're late for school. So, but you, you, by way of reminder, in order to get your license, you have to take a written test, right? You have to know what the rudimentary things are that you stop at a stop sign, uh, that you, you know, yield to oncoming traffic. You have all these things that you're doing and you take a written test and you're like, yes, I get my permit, but I still have to deal with my mom or my dad who's in the passenger seat grabbing onto the, you know, the, uh, the, the little bar up here and screaming, you know, or, or hitting the, the brake. And you still got to deal with that because you have to learn how to actually apply the things that are in the little permit book. And that's how much of life is, isn't it? I remember when Ashley and I were started dating. I was like, if I could just read all these great dating books, I can figure out how to be a good boyfriend or maybe even marriage, right? I'm going to read these, you know, thousand pages and I can write a really awesome paper on marriage. And then same story on parenting, right? Same story on anything that you do, buying a house, right? All these things are only truly learned by actually doing them. You don't really know until you actually do the work of what's in the book, you can prepare all day long, every day, but it's not until you're actually confronted with situations that you have to take all those principles that you learned and actually apply them in your life. And this is how it is with our spiritual lives, nonetheless. You can study all day long. You can know all the you can you can you can know who the grandmother and the mother of Timothy are. You can know who Paul is. You can know all these little nooks and crannies of the Bible, but it's not until you're confronted with someone who doesn't like you that you are called to pray for your enemy. When someone tells you to go two miles, or one mile, you go two miles. When someone says, give me your you know, cloak, uh, you give them your tunic. I'm, all, all these different pieces, right? Like, It's not until you have the opportunity to put into practice that you truly know and understand. And even then, right, even as a parent, I tell Ashley all the time, I'm like, I'm, I really don't know what I'm doing. And maybe you find yourself in that same boat that, that you thought, okay, wow, I thought marriage was going to be this, but it's actually that, and I'm actually not doing so great at this. See, we can listen, and we can train, and we can learn, and those are all good things. 
But it's not until we open our mouths and teach others and actually do the work of living that we actually truly understand and we are truly doing what Scripture has called us to be and to do. It's not until we are confronted with an ethical quandary that we can see whether what we believe is real or not. It's not until we're confronted with a moment of depression or a dark night of the soul until we really say, do I really believe this book? Do I really believe that God is near to the brokenhearted? It's not until those moments come in your life that you can really put to test the metal of your faith. See, Paul is near the end of his life as we looked at throughout the last several weeks. This is his last letter that he's going to be writing to his son in the faith. And he gets in the passenger seat, as it were, and he says, Timothy, it's time for you to drive, buddy. It's time for you to drive. And I'm sure there's trepidation in Timothy. He's like, uh, I think I'm going to make a wrong turn. And the fact of the matter is, yes, you will make a wrong turn, Timothy. You will go a little too fast or a little too slow. You may ride the brakes a little too hard. You may slam on the gas a little too much. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't get in the driver's seat. And as we look down history, we see many courageous drivers that were able to get over themselves and be able to get to the point of where they actually started to drive, where they decided to sit behind the wheel, as it were. And it's through this activity that we can see that Paul is passing off the next generation of this great tradition that he handed to Timothy, saying, now Timothy, it's your turn to entrust faithful men who will also then be able to entrust it to others and put them in the same position that I'm putting you. And as we saw last week, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, Paul encouraged us that our faith ought to be genuine and full of life as opposed to a branch that looks healthy on the outside but could fall at any time. I'm really thankful to that imagery that, that Chad shared with us in his sermon last week. So if you would, look with me at Second Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to, again, just look at these last seven verses here. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-17. through 17. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this to Timothy, saying, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know if you all follow... Um, or, or pay much attention to the title of these sermons, but I uh, decided last night that instead of don't underestimate Scripture, I didn't like that title. It's not a good one. A better title is Exemplary Teaching. 
So if you're taking notes and you want to put what the name of the sermon is, it's called Exemplary Teaching because it's actually through the examples that we see that true teaching can happen. And first of all, we see it in three ways. First of all, we are to follow godly examples. Follow godly examples. And you see that in verses 10 through 13. Paul has just given the examples that we saw in the previous week of the examples of the Egyptian magicians of Yanis and Yambris, using them as a negative foil for how Christians are to be in the world. Instead of telling Pharaoh what he wants to hear, you are called to lovingly, graciously, genuinely, kindly, any other, any other kind of adjective or adverb that you want to put in front of me? Speak the truth. You and I are not called to tell people what they want to hear. And that's a really difficult thing for us as human beings who really, 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 really want to be liked. We really, really want to belong. And so when we have to say something that somebody doesn't like or we know that they're going to not, or, or we think that they might not like, we can shy away from that. We say, hey, yeah, no, that's okay. Don't worry about that. That's, that's all right. And that we do it either out of self-preservation, right, that we want to be included, or we do it for self-promotion. We make up a lot of lies about the truth so that we don't get cast out from the club. There's a strong magnetic pull for each one of us in this room. One of the most base fundamental desires that we have more than food and clothing even. Psychologists have shown that even deeper than that is the sense of belonging. That's why exile in the early church was such a horrible thing to undergo. The exile, to be cast out from people because at root, we just want to belong. Just want to be loved. And there's this strong magnetic pull that you and I probably can't articulate too often, but there's a strong magnetic pull for us to just want to be one of the guys or one of the girls, to be included. And so therefore, we compromise our own ethics by way of speaking bad about others, gossiping, slandering other people, putting other people down when they're not in the room, distancing ourselves to show that, hey, you know, I, I'm not, I don't like those folks. But throughout Scripture, there's examples in contrast to Giannis and Yambrus. There's a, there's, a, there's a contrast as you look at those who would speak truth in love. Jeremiah, we just heard a moment ago in chapter 14. I've been reading Jeremiah in my uh, time in the morning with the Lord. And in Jeremiah, I would encourage you, uh, in, verse, in, in chapters 36 through 39, in Jeremiah just lovingly spoke the truth. And his words were cut up and thrown in the fire. And then he himself was thrown in the cistern. Just for speaking God's word in a gracious, loving way. And then you see other examples of Isaiah and Ezekiel and even Jesus himself. Who lovingly confronted people in their own righteousness and said, listen up, you who trust in your own righteousness. Don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector. We need to press into this fear. So you and I need to press into this fear that we have. And we see it a lot in Southern culture. 
But I think it's a, I think it's a, a human problem across, not just in the South, but in the North too. You see, I saw it when we lived in Minneapolis too. This fear of being excluded and not wanting to be seen as a, a fuddy-duddy. I don't know if that's a word that translates or not, but, you know, a square or somebody who is just a prude or somebody who's, you know, closed-minded or a bigot or any number of things. Like, no, I'm, I'm informed. I know I, I can speak all that, you know, really uh, hip language, so to speak. We don't want to be considered as being on the outs. So we got to press into this fear. And why am I so afraid of what other people will think about me? And it happens in the church too, right? And that's why so many Christians live right here on the superficial level of just behavior conformity as opposed to a deep level spiritual engagement with the Holy Spirit. God's calling us to much more when He's calling us to follow examples. He's calling us to much more than behavior modification and making sure we don't cuss. The Lord wants us to do the deep hard work of character formation. Look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. That's great. We got that. But he talks about, he goes much deeper than that to his own character. And he's saying, this is the teaching I'm talking about, not the hypostatic union of Jesus. I'm not talking about the Trinity even. I'm not talking about inerrancy of Scripture. All these things are good and true. He's saying, no, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Because if you get those right in your heart of hearts, then you can undergo the sufferings and persecutions that ought to be coming your way if you stand for anything. So we have to let God do the work. And and I think one of the ways that we do that is by following these godly examples. Because our tendency in wanting to belong is to fight culture wars. And therefore, we, we can point out the enemy you say, hey, I'm a conservative and I hate liberals. Or, hey, I'm, an, I'm a liberal and I hate conservatives. I'm not all about that QAnon stuff. Right? So we find our, our belonging in hating other people. Or we can run away from the world and say, bro, the world is messed up. We need to start and we need to have, uh, we need to have our own tennis courts at our church. We need to have our own bowling alley at our church. We need to have our own billiards. I don't know if that would be acceptable or not, but I think that'd be pretty cool to have that. Like we need to have our own, you know, uh, we're going to play Settlers of Catan because Dungeons and Dragons is just too, you know, that's, that's some bad stuff. We're not going to watch Harry Potter. We're going to watch Larry Lauder instead. We're going to make a Christian movie about these things because the world is just a nasty place. So we need to start our own subculture that's pure and right and good. We miss the boat. Or we can camouflage ourselves so that we don't look too weird. And so I would encourage you, these are the three things that Ashley shared this past week in the weekly. She shared a podcast that uses that same, some of the problems that we're seeing in our Christian culture of not standing out, of not really taking a stand, is this tendency to fight, flight, or camouflage our faith. And so Paul gives himself as an example to Timothy in how to fight against that tendency within your heart and within my heart to want to fit in. He says, look at my manner of life. Look at the way I've lived. And um, 
All these examples you can find in Acts chapter 13 and 14 if you want to go look at what he did. But the sum and substance of what Paul did in each, each of these three cities was he simply preached. He simply spoke God's Word and they stoned him. He didn't, you know, he wasn't just going to pick a fight. He said, all the things that you were longing for, Israel, have come to fruition in Jesus Christ. And they didn't want to hear it. He simply explained the Bible. He warned people to repent of their externally religious ways. And to see their growing pride that they were doing it the right way. When they needed to humble themselves and tend to their hearts. Fascinating, just a little side note. It's fascinating that the people that were stoning Paul and that could not listen to Paul's words were the ones who had God's word. Not the Gentiles. Look at Acts chapter 17. There's the Gentiles saying, tell us more about this God that we don't know. (laughs) Whereas the Jews saying, who are you telling us to repent of our sin? Don't you know who we are? So a lot of times those who are the most religious are the most damnable. See, persecution is not something that you and I need to go looking for, though. If you're seeking to live a godly life, you'll be made fun of. You'll be called a bigot. You'll be called narrow-minded. You'll be looked over for your job or a job promotion. You don't have to go looking for it. You, You might even potentially get thrown in jail or killed. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to go instigating trouble. I'm not saying, hey, I'm just standing up for the truth, so I'm going to call you an idiot. <laughs> you know, I'm going to hold a big sign out that says God hates so-and-so because I'm just speaking the truth. And if you don't like it, then that shows that you're evil. Like, that's, not what, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, hey, you're going to be persecuted if you're a jerk. <laughs> He's saying anybody who lives a godly life, if you are seeking to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're going to be persecuted. Remember when... Uh, a lot of the turmoil within our political uh, world was going down about two or three years ago during the election cycle and everything. Somebody's, you know, was talking about the persecution that's undergoing with Christians. I was like, this isn't, this isn't there yet, but it's coming. You don't have to go looking for it. Just live faithfully and you'll be persecuted. But you don't have to tweet about it. You don't have to say how horrible whoever is. Just say, hey, did you know that God loves you and offers, offers you a wonderful plan for your life? What? <laughs> you just start speaking the truth, start reading the Bible and start trying to live out the Bible, start speaking with integrity and truthfulness in your job, you will be persecuted. When asked your opinion, hey, what do you think about that? And you say, well, I believe this. I trust you. You'll be persecuted at some point. It will will find you if you're trying to live against the grain of the world, if you're trying to swim upstream. But then secondly, you don't need to run away from it either. Right? You don't need to run away from persecution. You don't want to try to hide from it by compromising what you believe and what you say either. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still looking into that one. Maybe. There's some things that you can still be looking into, but there are some things that are pretty clear in Scripture that God calls us to, to be clear on in our own hearts, whether Jesus really is God and that whether people need to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus or not. That's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. The world, though, let me just, by way of reminder, the world, my friends, needs God's Word. 
They're grasping, they're longing, they're wanting to know that there's a purpose in their life. And God has opened your eyes, Christian, unstopped your ears, given you a new heart to tell them about it. And it is a travesty that so many of us don't want to ruffle any feathers when people are longing. They're, they're so confused about who they are and what God is like and what He wants from them. And they're just running after any number of things and the church is quiet because we don't want to be hurt. The Lord is wanting to remind you this morning in the workplace tomorrow morning when you go into the workplace, when you go to your neighborhood today, when you get to interact with someone at lunch, maybe a table server or something like that, you have the opportunity to share life-giving news with them that someone shared with you. They may not like it necessarily, but I think that's what they're longing for. They're longing for some kind of belonging, some kind of identification with God Himself who created them to know Him and to love Him. And so, so first of all, we need, I think, to have godly examples in order to not flow downstream and not to camouflage our being in the world. To follow not simply their teaching, but to remember their way of life. Remember from 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and maybe you have an uncle Cletus. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have a godly example in your life. Most of my godly examples I actually don't know in this life, mostly from books. But if you are wanting someone to mentor you and love you, look around the room. Find someone who's been a Christian longer than you have, maybe even six months longer than you. And say, hey, you want to get together and let's read 2 Timothy. I'm not sure what Matt was saying. I don't know if I agree with what Matt was saying. Let's, let's talk about it because I, I want to find out more. Try to build that relationship. Look around you that there are brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith here in this room whom God has given to you to avail yourself of so that you can follow their godly example. Now, if they don't live the kind of life that you want to live, then don't ask them for coffee. <laughs> but if they, are, if they are steadfast and patient and loving and faithful, then invite them to coffee. I know that there are plenty of people who would gladly go to your house for dinner, gladly hang out with you. Just make it happen. Set the intention and go about inviting them. But <clears throat> along with this, <clears throat> I want you to notice the verb in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. This is the same word, or, or it's, it's a related word. It has, it has a, a prefix on it that makes it a little different, but it's the same verb root as all of the disciples who dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. The way of Christianity is not just knowing more information. It is following Jesus in His path of interacting with people. That's As you look at the Gospels, do you, do you notice how Jesus is constantly interacting with people on the way? That's by, that's, 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 there's a purpose to that. There's a reason behind that. They're not sitting in the synagogue all the time. Studying Isaiah. They're seeing Jesus stand up in the synagogue, quote from Isaiah 61, and then say, okay, look how I'm interacting with the religious leaders here. Look, 
Watch this, disciples. Follow me. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, in the same way that I follow Christ, follow me. Follow my example. See, I used to think that reading and knowing all the parenting books would provide the right teaching. But it's through the practice of parenting and through messing it up royally. Ask my kids that I've learned. And I'm learning. And I'll continue to learn when they're even out of the house when I'm trying to be a a better dad. That's the whole point is it's through the practice, through the following of Jesus on the way. The Christian faith is not just merely information download. It is action and following in practice the master. So my question, if you're wanting uh, points of application, my question for you this morning is who is going to be your example in the faith? Quite practically, who, who are you thinking of right now that, hey, I would like to hang out with that person more and learn more? I'm going to challenge you and and invite you to ask them to coffee, to text them if they're alive. If they're dead, you know, that may be a problem. But you can read books. But beyond that, maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, you know what, I would like to, I, I really appreciate how they walk with Jesus, and I would like to learn how to do that. And so invite them to coffee, invite them to dinner, do something other than just say, man, I wish I could be like that. I'm sure that that person would love to drink your coffee and eat your food. So secondly, not only do we need to follow godly examples, but we, secondly, need to be the godly example. Need to be the godly example. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, but as for you, see, he's already talked about himself. He's saying, you've seen how I've lived my life, Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, me, and your grandmother and your mother, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I wish I could explain every single layer to this, but the the sum and substance of this is that the wise and the faithful are those who are actually doing the work. Being the example. And so what do I mean by that? So not just follow examples and say, I'm going to, but, but be the example for someone else. Because Henry Nouwen, as you all know, is I, uh, one of my favorite authors. And in his book, Home Tonight, he shares the story of the prodigal son. And he says a lot of times we look at the prodigal son's story, right? We see the younger brother who's the profligate who goes out and spends all of his life, on all of his uh, money, his inheritance on loose living. And we're like, man, I... I know I was like that. Or we look at the older brother. He says the real point of what God wants for your life as a Christian is for you to stop being the younger brother and to stop being the older brother. And for you to follow in the way of the master and become the father. To welcome those who are the outcast, To run after those who don't know God. And to welcome those who are standing right next to you in all of their spiritual pride and saying, let's eat together. God wants so much more for you than just say, man, I really need the Father to love me. He wants you to be the example. He wants you to reach out. He wants you to be mature in faith. To say, it's time for me to grow up and be a man, to put childish things aside, and to follow the way of the Master and be the Father for somebody else instead of saying, oh man, I didn't have good examples. 
making all the excuses that you and I could make. I could make a hundred examples too. But the Lord says there's so much more life when you can actually be the father for someone else, when you can be the spiritual one who others can follow their lives after. And this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. See, Paul knows that he's going to die one day. He may not know that he's going to be tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And he's beckoning. He's calling out to Timothy saying, you, my son, it's time for you to be a father. It's time for you to have a son and a daughter in the faith. It's time for you to reach out. It's time for you, really, to grow up. Perhaps it's, t- perhaps it's time for you, my friend, to put into practice all that you've learned from faithful men and women. We never feel like we're ready. You never will feel like you're ready. But if you've followed Christ's ways and desire to live a godly life, God is beckoning you this morning to mentor and to be like the Father for someone else. As the theologian Ron Rollheiser, I'm reading his book Sacred Fire right now, would highly commend it. He says that Christian discipleship, indeed Christian maturity, is a matter of imitating and not just admiring. And a lot of times we can look and admire all these great people of the faith, but the Lord is calling us to imitate their way of life and indeed to be the ones who others would want to imitate in our character, in the way that we live our lives. So my question is, who will you be an example for? Who are you going to be an example for? What younger person could you invite for coffee? What younger person could you invite over for dinner? Man, woman, brother, sister in the faith. Because there is, a, there is something that miraculously happens when you become the teacher, when you become the parent, when you become the one who loves those who haven't been walking with the Lord for so long. So the third, then, then the question comes up, okay, I want to be the example. The question is, how do you get to that point of preparedness? How do you get to the point where you become the parent? Well, it's by being anchored to something outside of yourself. Because in and of yourself, you are not all that. Not a bag of chips. In and of myself, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. All the people that I've followed have clay feet. And that's because God intended it that way. You have to lean on God and His Word. And that's the third point. Breathe in God's love. I did have initially, this morning when I was going through this, breathe in God's word because it's so clear that that's where you're going in verses 16 and 17 is, hey, the word of God is, is hard. No, but I want to recalibrate how we consider what scripture is because you and I know this, don't we? You and I, like one of the things that so many, t- so many conversations I have with folks is like, I know I need to read the Bible more. So the question then becomes is why don't we? And I think it's because we haven't gone down deeper and considered what scripture is meant to be. I'll get into that here in a moment. We're not only given examples to follow, but we've been spoken to by God himself. So many times we'd be like, man, if God would just tell me who to marry, man, if God would just tell me what job to take, if God would just tell me what to do, I've had godly examples and most of them, most of them are not here around, anywhere around. But every single one of them has clay feet. Every single one of them will fail 
would, would fail me if they were alive. And every single mentor that you have or will have will fail you. Inevitably, people will let you down. That's just, that's the point. Is that people will let you down. People will not be able to help you at some turn of your life. They won't have the answer that you need. But Christians for centuries have found abiding peace in going to God's Word by listening to Him in the dark night of the soul. So why did God, so, so Paul says to him, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And we could get into the, the, the doctrine of inerrancy of Scripture and all those things, which are important conversations to have. But why would Paul use the word, Scripture is breathed out by God? Well, because the Spirit of God inspired Scripture and He intends for you to breathe it in. God breathes it out so that you might breathe it in like oxygen to your soul. See, God created you for something more than just getting saved. God created you, Christian, let me say it again, for more than getting saved. And for more than being able to write on a card on October 23rd, 2022, I became a Christian. That's great, but God invites you to more than that of an actual communion with Him. See, the, he's, Paul goes on to say here, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training righteous, that the man of God may be complete or perfect, as some translations have it, equipped for every good work. And so this, what this does not mean is that this is the plumbing manual or the electrical manual on how to wire the lights in here that sometimes go finicky. That's not what Scripture's about, but what it does is it actually trains the plumber and the electrician and the school teacher and the mom and the dad to actually do all of the character traits that Paul talks about in, in verse 10. How to be patient. How to be long-suffering. How to be steadfast. <clears throat> Honoring God in how we work. Having integrity honest in your dealings, right? And so what I want to recalibrate for each of us is that when we neglect Scripture, we neglect our very life. We neglect the love and belonging that we try so desperately to have. All the longing that you're like, man, I hope that my friends like me. I hope that they don't drop me at the, at the drop out of hat. I hope, I hope that my coworkers don't think I'm square or narrow-minded. All that longing for belonging that you have can actually be answered in Scripture. Because, because yes, at one, at, on one hand, Scripture is a testimony of God's dealings with humankind, right? Yes. Yeah, how, did, how, how did salvation history happen? Right? Th th those are important questions. And that's, yes, that's what Scripture is. But then the question behind that that I ask a lot of times is, well, why did God put it in a book? Right? It's, it's, that's great to know that God redeemed Israel out of Egyptian slavery. It's good to know that God was with Jeremiah in the bottom of a cistern. It's good to know that God saved Paul. It, it's, those are all great things. But then the question is, why? Why would God give us such a record? And I think, at root, the reason why God gives us Scripture is not just to give us more information, but it's to give us more information to know that the information is actually His unabashed commitment to loving you and to saving you and calling you to Himself. 
Is that land at all? That, that, that scripture is really important, y'all. But why is it important? It's because God created you to know him. And he welcomes you to him in the pages of this book to know that I love you and I love you so much that I would die for you. And I will be raised up again because I'm going to raise you up again. And you don't know that apart from Scripture, do you? The Lord wants to open up your eyes and your heart so that you might receive Him and say, Lord, come and do a work in my heart. And how does that happen? By letting Him breathe into your life and you breathe it in. So why do we neglect Scripture so much? Because we don't know that there is life in these pages. And we think that if I just knew more information, then I'd be a good Christian. The Lord doesn't want you to be a good Christian. He just wants you. He wants you in all the junk that you have. Jesus didn't say, come to me all who are laboring and got their stuff together. Hey, when you get your work done in the field, come to me all you are burdened and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest after you're done. He says, no, come to me with muck on your face, with tiredness in your legs, come to me and I will give you rest in the middle of that junk. And there's so much in our culture in Greenville that just irks me. And one of those things is that we have a lot of Christians who are not living the, the spirit-filled life, so to speak. They're living life in self-management mode, making sure that, yes, I, I read my Bible this morning. I prayed. <laughs> I don't watch that movie, but I was gently loving my family and caring for them as we sat around the table and had family worship. Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the sum and substance of what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to more than just checking things off of list to be a good Christian. He wants all of you. He wants your life. And one of the things, one of the images that I was thinking about, I mentioned to you Dag Hammerskold. I love the name. And I mentioned his book, Markings, that I quoted from uh, several weeks ago and said, you'll probably be hearing more from old Dag. And sure enough, you're going to hear some more from old Dag this morning because he's got a great name. And uh, Dag Hammerskold in Markings uh, makes, makes allusion to what are called blown eggs. Have you all ever seen what a blown egg is? You know what that is, a blown egg? Basically, in Europe, there's a, there's a tendency to, there, there's, a, there's an art form of taking an egg, piercing the egg, and draining out the yolk. Okay, and that's called a blown egg, and then you can design it any way you want. But Dag Hammerskold talks about a blown egg, and he says, a blown egg floats well, and it sails well. On every puff of wind, light enough for such performances since it has become nothing but shell, with neither embryo nor nourishment for its growth. Without intentional silence, we live anxious lives to please everyone else. Speech without form, words without weight, mere shells of people. Floating is not the purpose of an egg. And most of us have got a shell that we can preen and, and make look good on the outside, but that's not the purpose of the egg. The purpose of the egg is to nourish and protect and promote life inside of that shell. And so you and I are called to tend to the interior life. And you've heard me talk about this before, and I think that this is something that we need to triple down on as, as Christians in America, is to tend to the interior life and not just live up here and make sure that we have 
are the appearance of godliness that is really powerless, as we saw last week, but to tend to the interior life. And so you may be asking, Matt, how do I do that? And I'll share a little bit more in the weekly of some questions that you can ask yourself. But quite, for, quite, quite easily, one of the ways that you can tend to the interior part of your life, when I have someone come to me and say, hey, I feel really far from God right now. I feel really uh, dry in my faith. One of the things I tell them is to do this, and I'm going to encourage you, maybe if you're feeling that way, is I want to tend to the interior part of my life. I want there to be life inside of this shell. So one practice for this week is each day this week, I want you to take five minutes, just five, so set the timer on your phone, take five minutes each day to have silence in your life. And during that time of silence, I want you to pray one thing. Lord, I open my heart to you to change me on the inside. To communicate your love to me. That, that simple prayer and just sit in silence for five minutes and then once the five minutes is done that's all you do so much of our lives is harried with distractions and with everybody being able to ping us and call us and text us and email us and and we're constantly connected to everybody else but just taking five minutes each day each morning is probably the best time five minutes say lord open up my heart to receive you and your love for me and then just be quiet be quiet. You don't have to have a litany of things that you need to ask Jesus for. Just be quiet. In the silence, let there be weightiness to who you, who, how you live your life. See, my friend, God offers you life and love in his word. He offers you life and community in the examples of other people. And he invites you to provide that same giving, that life-giving presence for other people. The Lord is asking you if you will, in fact, not just wait for him and ask him to take the wheel, which is really important. Say, Jesus, take the wheel. Lord, I've been trying for so long, but there are moments where the Lord also wants to say, okay, it's time for you to also take the wheel. It's time for you also to live the life that I've inspired and, and given you life by the power of my spirit to live. Don't just say, hey, let go and let God know the Lord says, Hey, you're in the driver's seat. Like, like, I will empower you, even what we were just saying. Like, his strength to follow his commands could never come from me, right? It comes from him, but he still gives you strength to follow his commands. <laughs> he still gives you strength to be persevering and to loving, be loving and steadfast in your life. So I pray that this morning you will breathe in God's love, be the example for others to follow, and find yourself some good examples to follow yourself and invite them to coffee. So let's pray. Father, you have been very kind to us to give us not just a record of your faithful dealings with Israel, with the church, but your faithful dealings with these folks, these brothers and sisters in the faith, so that we might be encouraged by their godly examples and so that we might be godly examples for others, so that we might, in fact, be the father for others. We ask that you would inspire us yet again this morning to not just say, I got to read more Bible, but realize that in the pages of this word is life, breathed out by you, the creator of all, indeed our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.